0: everyone i'm charlotte and i'm dina welcome to the grim curriculum
1: we are late night recording today too it's like almost my bedtime honestly we talk about how we're little old ladies secretly uh, or not so secretly as it happens for the record it's only 8:53 p.m. but that's just where we're at
0: <laughs> at, at this point in our lives but this is going to be a you know what i feel like closing this up And finishing this, the closure is going to be a good bedtime story.
1: Yeah, and up where I am, it's been raining on and off for the last hour, so it's helped to cool things down a little bit today. It is still a little roasty toasty in this office, but that's okay. We're going to get through
0: it. I'm excited. This is honestly one of my favorite true crime stories, and the reason for that is due to all the stuff we're going to talk about today. Like I mentioned last week, we don't normally get too deep into the forensics behind what gets our subjects caught, but today we're going to be getting into some really, really fascinating territory, and I'm stoked.
1: Yeah, because also, I just thought of this, we cover a lot of old-timey cases where there really wasn't forensics to speak of, you know? It's been one of my special interests for a long, long time. For a little while, just after I graduated high school, I actually really thought long and hard about going to university for forensics, but... Unfortunately, your girl ain't great at math, and one of the prerequisites for that is calculus, so... But anyway, all that to say is I'm very stoked to talk about all this today. Welcome to the
0: third and final part of our series on the List family murders. We last left off with John leaving the List family home for the final time. Today we'll be talking
1: about what he got up to during his almost two decades as a free man. We will also be following the absolutely amazing investigation that led to him finally being caught. And trust us, you guys, this is going to blow you away. So we last left off with John, leaving the bodies of his wife, his children, and his mother behind in the ballroom of the List family mansion. And we will also remind you that before he left, he turned up the air conditioning and blasted classical music.
0: I get the air conditioning. He wanted to make sure it would take as long as possible for the smell to be noticed. But why the classical music? Like, we saw last week just how dramatic he is. But to me, this
1: is a bit much. Right? The classical music? The the whole bit has me stumped, I have to say. Because maybe on one hand, he wanted people to think that there were still people living in the home. You know, like music is making noise. But... If the music's blaring all hours of the night and day, surely that would draw more attention and someone would have noticed that something was off sooner. Well, he told everyone that they were gone. So then it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make sense. Like, he did this for the drama. Which, again, circles back to me not believing his story about it being like a mercy killing. Like, it's just too much. He wanted every bit of this, there's no doubt about that to me. Oh, I 100%
0: agree. John List left his car at the airport and would essentially vanish
1: into thin air. And don't worry, we will get back to his little disappearing act in a little bit. Meanwhile,
0: back at the List mansion, time was passing and the lights were beginning to go out in the home, one by one.
1: Neighbors had been made aware by John that the family would be away, like we said, However, it was still kind of odd to them that he had left the lights on and the music playing. Someone else who noticed the absence of the List family was Patricia's drama teacher, Ed Iliano. Patricia trusted Ed, and she confided in him multiple times about the threats that her father had made towards her and the family.
0: When she spoke to him about this, Ed didn't really take her seriously. But time was passing, and there had been no word from the List family, and Patricia was
1: missed. On December 7th, 29 days after the murders, Ed decided to stop by the List home and investigate for himself. When he arrived,
0: he rang the doorbell, but there was no answer. So he began to poke and prod around the home, peering
1: into every window he could find. This drew the attention of neighbors William and Shirley Cunnick. They were under the impression that the family was away, and they were worried that someone was attempted to take advantage of that and break into their home. They had called the police to report a suspicious character around the home. Before we get into this any further, I do want to just take a second and
0: clarify something I think is important. hmm There are, like, five different versions of this story. Oh, there is a version where Ed discovers the bodies, he breaks into the house and he goes in. There's another version where the police find them, but it's different. There's a lot of different versions. This one is the one that I felt was the most accurate based on the books that talk about it and based on court documents. Okay. So if anyone is curious about why we chose this story, um, th- that's why. It, it To me, it seemed like this was the most believable one.
1: Fair enough. When investigators arrived, they quickly agreed that the strange disappearance of the entire List family was pretty concerning. They decided that the best course of action would be to get into the house and see what was going on. They walked around the mansion until
0: they found an unlocked window. They climbed in and were instantly surprised at how cold the house was. Remember, this was in early December. It was very strange to them that it was almost as
1: cold in the house as it was outside. The sound of classical music rang through the intercom system that had been installed throughout the house. And take a second and picture that.
0: This isn't like a radio or like a, a record player or anything like that. This is throughout the entire house. It is loud, classical. They described
1: it as like they, they were in a church. That's such an eerie scene to be a part of. I'm sure Ed Iliano, Patricia's drama teacher, was like, really going through things in his mind at this point because the poor man probably felt so fucking guilty oh my god you know that he didn't get there in time oh my goodness and then you're coming across this insane scene the officers made their way throughout the house and into the
0: dining room as they went through the kitchen they noticed dark stains on the floor and the
1: walls And they saw right away that it was obvious that someone had attempted to clean up the stains but wasn't able to. There was essentially dried blood smeared everywhere.
0: They followed these stains into the ballroom. The closer they got, the more shocking
1: the scene became. Then, of course, the smell hit them.
0: And remember, dear listeners, by this point, all of the lights had burnt out. They can barely see where they're going. They just see more and more blood and they're essentially just following the smell at this point.
1: When they got into the ballroom, they noticed what they first thought was a large pile of clothing. It quickly became clear that it was the source of the smell.
0: They approached it and saw that what they were looking at were the lifeless bodies of Helen List and her
1: children. They continued to investigate the home and soon found Alma List in the attic where John had left her. Investigators would later report that she still had an absolute look of horror on her face. And soon enough, an investigation was underway. Once the shock wore off, they realized that one member of the family was indeed missing, John List. He became the main suspect immediately. And they quickly confirmed their hunch when
0: they entered John's office and found the letters that he had written, including a full-blown confession.
1: This was not an area where crime was common, let alone murders like these. The community was shocked and everyone wanted John Lis caught and quickly. Something to imagine about this was this was the first murder in eight
0: years. Holy cow. So they've had nothing like this and then all of a sudden it's a family annihilation.
1: It's just occurred to me if John hadn't left behind all the confession stuff, they may eventually have given up on him and thought maybe that someone that came to kill the family also like took him or killed him you know he may not have stayed on the suspect list if he had just completely dropped off the face of the earth
0: he was in a lot of debt right Mm -hmm. so he could have very easily faked it so that he owed someone money and they killed him
1: Yeah, 100%. Because this was very much financially motivated. He could have completely spun it a whole different way. That's very interesting. Especially considering I think he thought he was pretty smart throughout Mm -hmm. all this. But that seems like a very silly mistake to make. You know, I think he wanted people
0: to know it was him. That could very well be the case. Because he seems like the kind of person who wanted people to know why he did it. Like, he wanted his side of the story to be out. That's important enough to him. And he wanted them to know, this is why my family is dead. Goodbye.
1: Wild. It just gets wilder and wilder the more you learn about this case. And it's gonna get even wilder.
0: They had a hunch that John may try to run away to another part of the country, so they visited nearby airports, and it didn't take long until they found his abandoned car. It had a ticket on it dated November 10th, which gave them an idea on how much of a
1: head start John had gotten. Upon further investigation, they found out that John List had taken his passport with him from the house, but he had not boarded a plane. And that was essentially it. They charged him in absentia, and he was indicted on five counts of murder and one count of fleeing a crime scene across state lines. John had no record or even history of violence.
0: He wasn't exactly a seasoned criminal, and because of that, they expected him to turn himself in quite quickly once he realized how difficult life on the run was. John didn't
1: think he would make it very long either. He thought he would last a few weeks or maybe a month before he got caught. They all could not have been more wrong. At this point, of course, the FBI had become involved and a wanted poster was published and displayed at places they thought John might frequent. This
0: included optometrists because John would often need new glasses due to his constantly lessening eyesight, as well as pharmacies because he would regularly purchase hemorrhoid cream. Just a little fun fact for you guys there. Another fun fact is they found out that he had a secret P.O. box. And guess what he was having sent to that (gasps) P.O. box? Oh, no. Porn. That's right. Porn. The high and mighty man of God, John List,
1: was a huge fan of pornography. Of course he was, because if he was one thing and he was many things, basically all of them bad, but he was a fucking hypocrite. Yep. And oh, (sighs) speaking of religion, Mm -hmm. this is kind of
0: infuriating. They wanted to hang posters at Lutheran churches because they knew John would be looking for a new church, but they ended up not doing that because they didn't want to, and I quote, upset anyone.
1: Oh my goodness. Unfortunately, as we know, John never turned himself in. The trail had long gone cold, and it looked like he had simply
0: vanished. Nine months went by without anything significant happening regarding the case. That is until August 30th, 1972, nine months after the murders. Firefighters were called to the former List family
1: home, which had stood abandoned. And they arrived to see it engulfed in flames. The house could not be saved. The cause of the fire was deemed to be
0: arson, but no one would ever be convicted. And this crime remains unsolved to this day.
1: Now, do we think that this was John List coming back to deal with it, or do we think it was pure coincidence? I looked into this because I was
0: curious, and apparently, the house became kind of like a party area for kids. Oh, they would like I see. break in and like drink in the house. They couldn't like confirm that that was something that caused the house fire. Okay. But, but it was not
1: out of the question kind yeah, of thing. Yeah.
0: But it was also like a known crime house. So, someone just showing up and lighting it on fire because they didn't like what it was. I I don't see that being so outlandish. I don't see John being an arsonist.
1: I, yeah, and I don't see after he managed to make it a month and then two, I don't see him pushing his luck to return to the scene. I don't think so
0: either. I don't know. What do you guys think? Let us know in the comments. We're, We're curious.
1: So what exactly was happening to John while all this was going on?
0: Well, as far as he was concerned... John List was dead. He was ready to start living life under a new name and thus John List became
1: Bob Clark. For consistency's sake we're going to continue calling him John. He chose the name Bob Clark because it was someone he claimed he was friends with in university. When the real Bob Clark was interviewed about this he couldn't for the life of him remember anything about John. That's a pretty big burn, if you ask me. Well, frick, I wouldn't want to be associated with John either. So, no. John found a trailer in Denver, Colorado, and rented it using a fake social security number. He got a job working as a night shift cook.
0: That was a pretty big change from the life he was used to living with his family. And to me, it's interesting that he didn't want them living in a medium-sized house to the point where he killed them over it, but he was okay with himself living in a trailer. Okay.
1: I thought exactly the same thing, like you piece of shit. You couldn't have just walked away and done this without hurting anyone. By 1975, he really did begin to miss being a part of his local church community. So he did find a nearby Lutheran church and joined it under his fake name. He spent a
0: large portion of his time volunteering to drive elderly members of the congregation around to wherever they needed, and he began to teach Sunday school again.
1: Years passed, and John continued to live his life as Bob Clark. He began to work as an accountant once again.
0: It's really interesting how we're going to start seeing pieces of his old life just start to come back.
1: Eventually, he met Dolores Miller. The two met at a singles function. And apparently John
0: really let loose during this function. He dished his usual suit and tie for a pair of jeans and a button-up shirt with a few buttons left open for a little bit of extra
1: pizzazz. Oh my god, can you imagine? I don't want to. (sighs) Good point. (laughs) Dolores told John that she had been married once prior and he shared that he once had a wife. Cheeky (laughs) fucker. I know, right? When she asked what happened to her, John simply told her that she died of cancer and left it at that. He didn't even tell her about any of his children.
0: Apparently she asked to see pictures and he was like, oh no, I don't have any. Oh god, girl, red flags! (laughs) Well, despite the red flags in 1985, John and Dolores were married and it seemed like
1: things were going pretty well at first. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for things to slowly start unraveling. John lost his job as well as his position as a Sunday school teacher. Apparently the kids just, like, hated him. And honestly, folks, like, while I champion that I will never have children of my own, if someone claims that they truly hate kids or babies, that is a red flag to me. Same with dogs. Exactly. It's like... Yeah, you know, kids can be annoying and whatever, but they're kids. They don't know any better. You shouldn't hate them. I could not agree more.
0: That's a huge red flag. This guy is a walking red flag, and that's a lot, because we talk about a lot of walking red flags, but he is, he's up there.
1: Yeah, and if kids hate you and dogs hate you, you need to assess some things. Yep. It didn't take long for this, of course, to come back and affect the marriage. Soon enough, Dolores was telling her friends that she wanted to leave her husband. During this bout of unemployment, John began to chat with a neighbor
0: of his, a woman named Wanda Flannery. He had no way of knowing that this woman would be responsible for eventually bringing him down.
1: Wanda was known to be a very nosy neighbor. She also loved reading the tabloids. One day while she was out shopping, she stumbled upon a copy of the Weekly World News. She was drawn to a story in the paper that talked about a man
0: who brutally murdered his family and vanished. The more she read, the more it sounded like her
1: neighbor, Bob Clark. Even the picture looked like him. Wanda decided to wait until a day when John wasn't home. She took the paper to Dolores, who was pretty awestruck. Dolores said she would show it to John and see what he said, but she ended up throwing it out instead. Probably for the best, I feel like showing the person you suspect is a serial killer, their picture in the paper is not the way to live.
0: (laughs) No, this is when you need to become the best actress that you can while you get the fuck
1: out. 100%. And indeed, Wanda never brought this up again. Eventually, the Clarks moved to Virginia. They didn't stay in touch with Wanda, but she kept this in the back of her mind. Once again, time passed, and John continued
0: to live his once again crumbling life.
1: The 13th anniversary of the murders passed. Luckily, this sparked new interest in the case. Detective Jeffrey Paul Hummel and an intern of his reorganized the List family murders file. Apparently, the general consensus was that John was dead. However, Detective Hummel refused to believe this. He saw that a ton of effort had been taken to find John with absolutely zero answers, so he decided to take a less conventional approach. Enter the psychic. And apparently in this case, the psychic was actually pretty good. And I kind of... Uh, I i don't know how I feel like psych- about psychics getting involved in cases like this, because sometimes it works, and sometimes it colossally fucks everything up, you know? So... I approve of it as a
0: last ditch effort. Like the psychic shouldn't be the first person you call. Like this is who you go to where you're like, you know what? Just tell me something.
1: I agree with exhausting all possible options when it comes to a case. But like you say, I don't think it should be in the top 10 list of things that you try first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She said that John had not left by plane, but by bus. Which was true. She also said that he met another woman and that there would be some sort of a connection to Baltimore. And Dolores and him got married in Baltimore. She
1: was also right about the
0: direction that he fled to as well.
1: The psychic did predict that John would visit the family gravesite on his birthday that year. She was not right about that. Despite all of this, no information surfaced and the case stayed cold. Eventually, Detective Hummel was transferred. However, he continued to keep tabs on the case. One day, he was watching the
0: show America's Most Wanted. He spoke to some of his coworkers about it, and together they decided that they should approach them about doing an episode on John List.
1: He also informed Captain Frank Maranka, who had taken over the case. When they approached the show, they
0: were actually turned down at first. The case was substantially older than their usual
1: stories. Could this case even be solved? And they had some legitimate concerns. For starters, they had no recent photos of John List. Like we talked about before, he had destroyed all the photos of him and his family, and it actually did help him get away for that little bit longer. The most recent photo that they had of him was over
0: 20 years old. And friends, this is where this case really, really fascinates me, because we're going to talk about a man named Frank Bender. Uh, He sadly passed away in 2011, but this man was an absolute genius. When
1: I read all of this, it honestly blew my mind. I think what he does, or sorry, I guess what he did is absolutely fantastic, He was an expert in forensic sculpting. He worked as a reconstruction artist with the police, and he would often help identify everything from suspects who have aged to unidentified bodies. He could essentially take a skull and create what that person used to look like with an alarming amount of accuracy. This is interesting because they did have the option to use computers at this point. Nothing, of course, as advanced as what we have now, but still pretty good. And they decided to go this route because it's actually more accurate. Frank would learn everything he could about John.
0: He even looked at a psych profile so he could more accurately predict how
1: he would age. He even looked at a scar that John had behind his ear and spent time researching how that type of scar would age, Not only that, he went through hundreds of glasses before he found the right ones to complete the aged John List sculpture. And with all of that done, the episode was ready to air. On Sunday, May 21st, 1989, Wanda and her daughter were sitting down watching America's Most Wanted when they saw the story about John List. The more the show talked about him, the
0: more convinced they were that this really was their neighbor, Bob Clark. And when they saw
1: the aged sculpture... They knew it was him. What was it that sealed the deal for them? The glasses. So attention to detail really helped in this particular
0: case. I talked about this episode of Forensic Files in part one, I think. He really, really spent forever on the glasses. Apparently he like finished it and he was like, no, this isn't done. We need the right glasses. And they were, they showed the glasses that he used and the glasses that John wore. And they're friggin' identical.
1: It's truly amazing. I think it goes to show, especially when it comes to this like behavioral analysis and how they were able to predict even that he would eventually reach back out to a Lutheran church, which I, I think is amazing. Right. That we as human beings are truly predictable in our patterns. Which
0: it's so interesting that you say that because we really, really see it with him. Like his, he repeated his old life. He started essentially all over again. And you know what I wonder about? If he didn't get caught, would he
1: have killed again? Potentially. Based on how quickly his marriage to Dolores seemed to fall apart, it wouldn't have surprised me if that's what it came to. But then I wonder as well if he was actually smart enough to realize, like, I got away with this once. I don't know if I could get away with it again. Especially with Wanda now poking and prodding. Not that he particularly knew that, but still.
0: Right, but I wonder, because it's like, okay, well, I've killed my whole family. What's just one person?
1: Yeah. It would be unusual in the sense that typically we hear about serial killers escalating. For him, as Wild as it sounds, going from murdering his entire family to just killing his new wife is actually somewhat of a de-escalation if you think about it, which is awful. John, you can't do anything right. Oh, man. 300 people also called the show to report their friends, their neighbors, and even their enemies. Among them was Wanda. She called the
0: show and told them that she thought it was her neighbor, Bob Clark, and shared his address.
1: Investigators showed up at the Clark home John was off at work, but Dolores was home. She spoke with them, they asked her questions about her husband, and showed her the wanted flyer. Poor Dolores. She did initially deny that he could be him. However, she showed them a photo from their wedding, and they told her that this was definitely the man they were looking for. Eleven days after the show aired,
0: John List would finally be arrested for the murders of his entire family.
1: And what finally tied him to the murders was his fingerprints. Like we talked about in episode one, John had provided his fingerprints when he purchased a gun. A gun that he would never pick up. It's really interesting to me that he didn't even
0: get this gun, let alone use it, but that it ended up being what sealed the deal for him. Like, it's just kind of perfect.
1: It really is somewhat poetic in the sense that the tiniest thing was the thing that sealed the deal in the end. Right? Right.
0: He really didn't seem phased when they got him either. They showed up at his work and they expected him to be shocked, but he kind of just seemed overly comfortable with what was happening. It's as if he had practiced for this many times before.
1: I'm sure it's something that he must have run over in his head many, many times. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, you kill your whole family.
0: You get away with it. Do you still think about it every single day 18 years later? Or is it something that it's like in the back of your mind, like every now and again, you're like, oh, yeah.
1: I would say if it was a quote unquote normal person like you or I, that shit would live with me every hour of every day. i fucking hope so. And I sure hope that they haunted his ass. I Mm -hmm. hope they didn't give him any fucking peace. But I almost think more than likely there were days when he kind of forgot that he had an old life, I bet. I think that's unfortunately probably the case. There was a trial. However, it was not to determine whether or not John was guilty, but to determine whether or not there was something wrong with him that made him act the way he did. They concluded pretty quickly that there wasn't because no, he was just a shit human being. I'm really glad that he wasn't able to get away with bouncing back and forth on like an insanity plea or something. They were just like, no, you knew what you were doing. Right. They were pretty certain right away that this guy was a piece of shit. The defense even had the audacity, and they actually tried to argue that Helen's syphilis was to blame for this. That John killed her because she lied about it. Luckily, no one fell for this bullshit. Leave Helen alone. Honestly, hasn't that woman been through enough, for God's sakes? Right? Seven days later, John was found guilty on all counts of murder. He was given five consecutive life sentences to guarantee that he would never see the light of day again. And he didn't. He died at the age of 82 due to complications caused by pneumonia. John List never expressed any remorse
0: or regret when it came to killing his family. He maintained until the day that he died that he did the right thing and that he would see his family again in heaven.
1: Honestly makes me kind of mad that there was no part of him that seemed to be remorseful about it because like I said I wanted them to haunt him and it doesn't seem like they did because he was that delusional I don't think that they did unfortunately I honestly
0: I think in his mind he did the right thing and he was okay with it they talked about this in interviews with him later they were like hey listen if you are such a religious person did you not violate one of the like biggest commandments of literally like, though. the fucking kill people yeah
1: hello and,
0: right and he was basically like well no i understand that but this was justified um he he even like wanted to write a book about it before and he died before he wrote it luckily <laughs> but like oh my god
1: that makes me really mad <laughs> oh lucked. man he really did and that
0: brings us to the end of our series on the list family murders
1: Oh, man. I mean, I think we just put our feelings out on the table there. But I'll let you know this man was a piece of trash. I wish he had suffered more towards the end. And I hope his family do indeed get the peace that they truly deserved. And he did not get any of that.
0: I hope he hated jail, but I
1: don't think he did. I think he was just comfortable with anything. Because it probably would have been a structured environment that has a hierarchy that he can understand. And he was probably, he probably was established in that pecking order. So he probably loved it. I think so too. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of justice here. I mean, he got caught in the end, which I'm glad. I'm glad that he wasn't able to die a free man, that he did have to sit through a trial and he did get sentenced for what he did. And I would say five consecutive life sentences Was more or less about as good as we're going to get out of that one. But we're finally at the end. And so I guess now we'll uh, go over the usual stuff. Yeah, as always, thank you all so
0: much for supporting the podcast. We appreciate you all so much. Uh, We're now into our 70s with these episodes, into our 10s with extra credit. Like, holy crap.
1: Yeah. And you know what? As I was editing extra credit uh, last time, I was like, oh, look at that. We made it to 10 episodes. And I I kind of forgot about it. Like, we didn't make a big deal about it. (laughs) And not that it's a huge, huge milestone, but it kind of is. They're all to be celebrated.
0: They are. And again, if you haven't checked that show out, you should, because it's friggin' awesome. (laughs) All right, you guys, it is that time of the week again. We are going to thank our wonderful, beautiful, glorious, grim VIPs and up. Thank you so, so much to Mayhem Mudkip, Kevin, Judy, Hillary, Brian, Atlantean Jedi, Lisa, and Bob. You are amazing, and we really, really appreciate you. You're all the cat's
1: pajamas. Meow. Thank
0: you all so much for listening. This has been The the Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum.
1: Dina, Mm -hmm. did you know that Australian echidnas blow snot bubbles to cool themselves down? It makes their beak close to 10 degrees cooler than the rest of their body. Bless them. And you should totally Google pictures of echidna snot bubbles because it's adorable. I'm doing it right now. I'm
0: going to keep this in the episode. I'm going to. Okay. Oh, oh, oh my God. You guys, Google this. Google this. K, okay. K, okay. bye.
1: Bye. <laughs>